0: Ce qu'on demande, c'est d'avoir une police sans armes, et le mot que j'écris faut dans le sable. Je suis
1: indigne, sans cesse contrôlé par un flic qui connaît ton blasse, pas de ceux qui rigolent des temps graves. Les sœurs et les frères en ont marre. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Alison. So, France is burning. Well, not really. That's really how France is being seen from the outside. Yeah, foreign media
0: covered the eight nights of rioting that ended last week on the 4th of July. but. But they didn't really pan out their cameras, did they? Mm. So, yes, there were riots and, yes, public buildings, businesses and cars, buses were burned. Shops were looted. But it wasn't
1: everywhere. Far from it, in fact. And it wasn't entirely random Mm. either. It all started as an overflowing of anger over police violence after a police officer shot dead a 17-year-old. Uh, Nahel Merzouk during a traffic stop on June 27th in the city of Nanterre. So this is a working class, multi-ethnic neighbourhood,
0: they're known as Mm Bonlieu. At first, the officer had justified the shooting as self-defence. He said that Nahel had tried to run him over. But then video of the shooting came to light and that showed him shooting into the window when the car was
1: stopped uh, at point blank range. So um, to be fair, the government did react very quickly. The officer was immediately arrested, charged with voluntary homicide. (laughs) But that didn't really calm things down. The shooting set off a wave of anger, rioting and looting in many banlieues across the country over the ongoing issue of police violence and this feeling that the police act with impunity. So in these
0: banlieues, there's been a long uh, and very conflictual relationship between residents and the police.
1: Yeah, so the unrest was localized in Nanterre and in other banlieues in other cities, Paris, Marseille, Lyon, but also in some small towns. And
0: the riot were mostly very young men set fire to schools to government buildings police
1: stations as well as banks and businesses insurance companies say they'll be paying 650 million euros in claims the government said damage to state property that they'll be paying is closer to 2 billion euros
0: that said lots of people in these banlieues tried to stop the unrest they intervened they did what they could <laughs> So in this video that did the rounds on social media, a woman can be heard shouting to young rioters, oh, no, no, don't go in the
1: school. Mm. The government deployed a massive police presence to tamp down the rioting. A fifth of France's entire police force was mobilized. Over 3,500 people were arrested, though it wasn't across the population. The people that rioted and looted and are now facing prosecution were mainly male. The average age was 17 years old and many of black or Arab descent.
0: So this unrest has brought back memories of 2005 that we can hear here is from a banlieue outside of Lyon. Mm. Nearly three weeks of rioting took place at the end of 2005 following the death of two young men of colour who were being pursued by police. It led to similar
1: anger and raised uh, similar issues. There are a few differences, right? Mm. Um, This time there was no state of emergency declared. But the issues of police impunity and racist policing were the same. And 18 years since, there's been a lot of financial
0: investment into the suburbs, but not a lot of investment on the human side. In fact, rather the opposite. The state has been seen as withdrawing from there. Ali Rabet, who's the mayor of Trapp, which is a, a banlieue to the east of Paris, told RFI that he and other mayors had already warned President Macron very recently that a crisis was looming in les banlieues. We've been saying for years that the situation is explosive, he says. The president was warned over the state of the banlieue and he paid no attention. He was scornful of our warnings, of those of the mediators and community groups. We've been saying this for three years or more. Now they have to be capable of
1: calming down all of this tension. So Emmanuel Macron promised a plan for the banlieues in 2017 when he was elected but that's been dropped. Mm, It's
0: difficult to compile statistics on ethnicity in France Sarah but the National Statistics Office has shown that poverty rates remain higher for those of immigrant descent in the banlieue. Job opportunities are far lower. Other research has shown that men from ethnic minorities in particular are far more likely to be stopped and searched by police. Also the vast majority of people who have died at the hands of police over
1: the last 18 months are men of colour. So as the dust begins to settle on the most recent explosion of violence, people are beginning to unpick the reasons to try to explain it so mm. that maybe lessons can be learned this time.
0: Yeah, I talked to Julien Talpin, he's a sociologist at Lille University and he's been researching France's banlieue now for a decade. He says the unrest was not as random as the government and the police are portraying it to be. There is a political element he says
2: one clear element coming out from the violence is that the targets of this violence were not random. Some of it was because rioting is a form of chaos, and we shouldn't overestimate the level of organization of this riot. But still, there is a clear overrepresentation of public institutions that were targeted, police stations, town halls, schools, community centers, libraries. There was a lot of anger towards uh, the police. And police violence were once again revealed by the death of nile but it's obviously broader and uh what's coming out of my own research on racial discrimination is really that very often people that are not especially politicized who don't vote who are very defiant against politics have somehow a very political interpretation of their situation and really interpret and understand the treatment of racial minorities and uh, Bordier residents as unfair and coming from political representatives and institutions. And that's why all these public institutions were targeted.
0: So even though, you know, there was looting, you're saying that nonetheless, there was a political message that these, for the majority, youngsters were trying to get across.
2: Yeah, I mean, rioting is a complex phenomenon. And there is some interesting data coming out about the fact that the people who actually did the looting and, and targeted uh, more uh, private establishments were not necessarily the same as those that were perpetrating the violence. You can see on the uh, geography of the riots were not exactly the same. And you have also some uh, white middle class kids that took part in these lootings. You have also uh, some political activists on the on the far left that also uh, were part of that. Nevertheless, there is clearly. A form of, let's say, frustration towards mass consumption that we cannot always access. And that's why also more, let's say, luxury stores were targeted. And then uh, you also have the obvious difficult social situation that have become uh, worse and worse in the last months of many residents in the borough, In particular, the the rise of uh, energy costs. I mean, the social situation is complicated in more than Ever before. So that's also why we saw looting, for instance, in supermarkets and people taking just like basic stuff and say, okay, that's free.
0: Are you saying that overall, though, that this violence was largely in reaction to this feeling of being discriminated against, of not being somehow part of France? And so it was a kind of middle finger to the state.
2: Absolutely. And it's not random, it's not irrational, it's not like barbarians destroying their immediate environment and that's why I'm, I'm stressing the fact that the targets were not randomly chosen
0: it's really young men and the females seem to have been largely absent from this violence can you read anything into that
2: i mean it's not really surprising the first thing is that we're discovering that now but it's uh, it's pretty clear that uh, the majority of the writers were young teenagers mostly male why do they in particular participate in this riot First is uh, the process of identification with what happened to Naya, and it's, it's coming out a lot also from my fieldwork, the idea that it could have been me, and the idea is that these uh, teenagers are those who have the most complicated interactions with police forces, so the one who identifies the most with Naya. So police violence is not something abstract. The second element is probably the fact that they have, in some sense, time, and they are available... I mean, it's the end of the school, they're not working, and and when you compare with the girls, there is a big discrepancy between the educational trajectory of uh, male and uh, women in this neighborhood. So that might also be one element. Third thing is that there is obviously something very virulent in this violence, the public expression of violence, and the, in some sense, the revenge against. Police forces
0: And was that amplified via social media, as some people are suggesting, that there was, you know, a bit of a competition sometimes going on?
2: It's obviously uh, one element of the diffusion and the rapid diffusion of the riot. But in many ways, the same thing was said in 2005. At the time, it was not social media, but the images you could see on TV. And there was a lot of discourses about the role of the competition of who could do the biggest uh, riot or fire. I think it's an element, but still, where I'm a bit uncomfortable is um, the idea, on, uh, in some sense, uh, the, the, the political reactions to the riots goes in that direction. Uh, the idea that riot would be kind of a game. I mean, obviously, there is something about a form of, of revenge against the police. There is a kind of, uh, in French, with the exutoire. They're releasing something. Yeah. But on the other hand, it's still risky. And the teenagers are aware of that. I mean, risky physically and risky, you might get arrested.
0: There has been a lot of money poured into les banlieues since 1977. I think I counted 11 different investment programmes and more than 100 billion has been spent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and half of that in the last 15 years or so. So it hasn't delivered results. What's gone wrong?
2: There's two things. First, money has been put, but it doesn't compensate the fact that over the long time, the French state puts less money in the values than the rest of the territory. Basically, even though the investment in the urban renewal doesn't compensate all the money that is put. In comparison to uh, other parts of the country, school is a good example. For instance, you have a system of territorial positive discrimination with uh, smaller school sizes and uh, the professors are a little more paid than where they are teaching somewhere else. But still, we are putting much, much less money in the schools of the Bordieus than in the class préparatoire.
0: Kind of elite schools, yeah.
2: It's just like it's one to three. So when you look at all the different public services, you can also look at public transportation. It's very clear in the case of the Paris region, where historically much more public money has been put in the public transportation system of Paris than in the Bordieus surrounding it. They're trying to catch up, but it's not working. So the discourse... That we give more money to the border than to the rest of the country is not true. It's important to say that historically, when you look at the data, that is not true. Then, I mean, money is put. The question is where it goes. And uh, clearly, the choice has been made to put the money on the buildings and the social aspect and the support to community organizations, social workers, as on the country rather decreased. I mean, in the last 20 years, but even more in the last five years. So it's, it's obviously a choice that has been made, and it has consequences.
0: And the consequences is largely that somehow we've lost the sort of human side. You've got a posh building, but then declining public services. This link between the state and the population in these banlieues has somehow been weakened.
2: Absolutely. And, and all the civil society of the banlieue has been weakened over the last uh, 10 years in particular. And then... Beyond the question of money itself, what's coming a lot out of, of my research and the discourse of the, the leaders and the, the staff of these organizations is that they have the feeling that they are not seen as uh, partners or potential allied by institutions, the state or elected officials, but very often they are seen as problems. And basically what people are saying a lot now on the field in the last 10 days is that Macron and all the politicians are asking us as social workers to do the job. But uh, in the last five or 10 years, they're be despising us.
0: What will happen next? Do you f- think something positive might happen?
2: No, I, I'm pretty pessimistic. In some sense, you can say that the repressive option in the short term uh, decided by Macron and at work.
0: To send in 20% of France's police force to try and restore
2: order. I mean, very quickly, the riots stopped. And one of the reasons is because uh, there was a lot of police forces in the streets and that a lot of people were... So you could say it, it worked. The question is to what extent this repressive answer will really solve the problem in the long term. I'm not certain of that. And obviously the root causes of the riot might not be addressed. So the risk is that in five or 10 years, you might see the same story again.
1: So it sounds like not much has changed in the banlieue. And the thing that set off this most recent wave of violence is, of course, the police. And
0: since 2005 and that last bout of unrest, relations between the National Police
1: Force and France's Banlieue have not improved.
0: In fact, they've gotten worse. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's become much more of an attitude of repression, cracking down. And it's created a very specific us versus them mentality, actually coming from both sides. Mm. So you've got young people who see themselves repeatedly targeted victims of violence. And the police themselves feel they're not being respected and even feel under threat. Some have said actually this past week that they've been doxxed, oh. their names and addresses have been posted online, and and they fear retaliation. Oh. And underneath all of this, there is the issue of race.
0: Mm-hmm. The government maintains there is no systemic racism within the police, just, uh, you know, a few few officers, uh, a few bad apples, as the Paris police prefect, Laurent Nunez, recently said.
1: Yeah, but studies have shown that this just isn't true. Political scientist Jacques Maillard, who studies the police and has written comparatively about police in France and elsewhere, told me that racism has been well documented in the French police, racial profiling is a thing, and racist attitudes in policing contribute to this bad atmosphere. It's how the institution works, he told me, but it's not recognized by politicians or the police themselves.
3: I would say there are different reasons. Uh, The first one is ideological and has to do with the French tradition of republican uh, universalism, that race do not exist. So speaking about race is simply not possible second reason is more political, it's connected, but it's a way of defending the police against uh, external criticisms. And it has to do with a major aspect of police politics in France, which is the role of uh, unions. Police unions are very vocal and they are kind of, um, some of them, not all of them, 100% defense of the police. The police is perfect and cannot be criticized. And so the the government is very much listening to this kind of position by the police units.
1: Like a vast majority of police officers are unionized, right?
3: Yes, 70%, but Uh it's a lot, and they are very vocal. Uh, You could hear in the last days public positions taken by uh, the majoritarian police unions which spoke of the rioters or the young men in a revolt as, it's difficult to translate into English, but nuisible, kind of uh, insect that you, you should get rid of. So it's very violent, very abrasive and as a matter of fact, it was not strongly criticized by the government, not considered as completely unacceptable. So this pressure of unions does constrain very much political actors.
1: I guess that raises the question of sort of how is the role of police seen in France? And I mean, it's going to be seen as different by different people, but say on a political level, like the idea of keeping the peace. But what does that really mean? Is that Who's that serving?
3: Well, in France, you have a long tradition of legitimacy from above, that the police exist to protect the government, to protect the public institutions. So at the beginning, they were in charge of protecting the king. And they have a kind of uh, reservoir of legitimacy among a large part uh, of contemporary public opinion, or in defense of the police. And so I would say that during the recent events, you had a kind of Turn of public opinion. At the beginning, people were very sympathetic to uh, the young people, and the dynamic of the riots made part of the public opinion turning towards the defense of the police because they were protecting the institutions and maintaining order. And political positions. Police are a very divisive issue, very polarizing, and center-right uh, politicians are the one. The incumbent uh, government are very careful not to be seen as attacking the police, and they are very, very careful in the way they uh, speak about that.
1: Well, which is why when, when the president, Emmanuel Macron, came out and called out the shooting, actually this Nahel shooting, um, there was a lot of reaction of saying, you know, how dare you judge before he goes yes. before a court.
3: Yes, indeed. You know, uh, Macron, well, in this kind of very divisive time, The position of political actors is very unstable, uh, very difficult because you have to talk to different audiences. And so he was very much criticized by uh, the police unions for not respecting the presumption of innocence of these police officers. But in the more mid-term, Emmanuel Macron has been at a very unease with the police. Since 2017, he came with kind of agenda that was not clear, but that was about reconciling the French police and the citizens and the inhabitants and the public. And I would say that six years later, he made even call on the, the need for more deontology, more ethics in the police. He made claims on the fact that some people of color could be treated in a different manner by the police. And that was unacceptable. But it has remained in the the form of speeches and not as policy reforms.
1: Right. which, Which raises the question, is it because there's just no political will to do it? Or, you know, can he just not? Because the institution has so much power, so much grip, I guess, on public opinion, as you said, a lot of support in the public. Like, why is it just talk?
3: Yes, this is a question. Um, I I would say that um, political actors, they are um, pulled in different directions. Second idea is that to reform the police, uh, you know, it's a complicated institution with different layers, with people even at the top who have some knowledge that political actors don't have. So you need time and you need knowledge. And they didn't have that. They don't have some special advisors who know the police, who know which levers they should activate, and that this should be done in the midterm. So there is a, an issue of the consistency of the reform agenda.
1: So on some level, there's a, there's at odds, you have the government and you have the police, and there's not really like many bridges in between them.
3: Yes, and within the government, they are doing the consistency that... Uh, you have had a a Ministry of Interior who came with an agenda of protecting the police. This is
1: Gérard d'Armagne.
3: Yes, saying that police violence cannot exist, etc. So you have political actors with a short-term agenda, very uh, shallow political agenda. And if you want to reform, you have to be much more long-term oriented on the one hand and to take into account other actors. So civil society, experts, academics, magistrates, voluntary organizations, etc, etc. Mm-hmm. It has to do with the transformation of authority and it is often addressed in a very defensive manner mm-hmm. that we are no longer respected.
1: Yeah, there's this feeling from the police saying we're under siege I and mean, when we saw this they also went through all the whole yellow vest movement and there was a lot of us against them and they were working a huge amount and constantly on duty and It's hard to then imagine then saying, okay, let's go and go towards people. You can imagine it's kind of maybe built up over the last several years.
3: Yes, exactly. Uh, They face very difficult conditions of work, which have even been uh, more difficult for the last, I would say, eight years since the terrorist attacks of 2015 with different aspects of police works, uh, public order, anti-terrorism, which have made their activity more difficult, more under stress. Uh, And there is a responsibility of the institution to uh, favor a less we-against-they mentality. Training, management, uh, briefing and debriefing, de-escalation are very important and it was not considered as a priority so you have all these short term decisions to support the, the police officers but with no real change in the medium
1: all these difficulties then also turns maybe radicalizes the police there's some who accuse the, some elements of the police of really veering far right and it makes it then difficult for some police officers to maybe call out certain things like racism or overt brutality.
3: I would say that there is some truth uh, in this, that more and more, if you look at the polls, the French police officer, they do vote for the, the far right.
1: And the far right is very much, we support the police, kind of okay. very much like the unions.
3: Exactly. I wouldn't say that the far right, as far as I know, has infiltrated the police. But mm-hmm. I, I would say that there is a kind of convergence So how can we explain it? They have the feeling that they are the the last line defense of society, which is something very important, and that political actors, political institutions, the parliament, the justice have not been supporting them. So they are doing the, the bad work, the dirty job for the other ones. So you have this kind of radicalization from below that has to do with their difficult conditions of work and that they are not heard even by their eye uh, it does contaminate the rest of the police. So uh, I would say that um, there was a strong issue with that, is that when you see a police union able to declare that rioters are a nuisible sort of insect, it, it does mean something in terms of the radicalization of their troops.
1: So you've got a situation where you have a, like, as we said, radicalization of the police, a police that, whose work conditions are not great. You have a political approach that isn't very strong in terms of reforming. And then you have this ongoing problem then of police brutality. This is a very fairly bleak picture for French policing. Yeah. How do you see things? How would you like to see things evolving?
3: Well, thinking that what we have had is kind of vicious circle. Tensions which are arising due to previous tensions. The police uh, fear they are not understood, they are not respected, and being not respected, they won't respect, etc and the risk that it continues is in my view quite important. So what should happen in my view is that political actors uh, should do the contrary, and that you have uh, some structural difficulties and you should have a reform agenda based on a mid-term strategy to de-escalate and to value good relations with the public. In other countries, in England and Wales, in the Netherlands, in Germany, we could see some common uh, challenges. Racism, discrimination, stop and search, all an issue everywhere. But in these countries, the police started by recognizing, identifying the problem. So if you don't say there is a problem, you won't be able to deal with it.
1: But so identifying the problem, that's the first step, and we're really not there yet.
3: There is some work to do, (laughs) clearly, yes, yes.
1: I mean, it seems like it goes beyond just policing. Some of these issues are beyond just police issues.
3: Yes, of course. We should not summarize this current situation to simple problem of on the one hand the right-wing explanation these young people have become more and more violent etc or another explanation insisting on uh, the structural uh, difficulties of a violent police it's much more uh, global than that it has to do with uh, poor neighborhoods Uh, it has to do with the difficulty of the french public administration to reform itself to be more open to civil society. So there were lots of issues. But I would say that from a reformist agenda, if you have to prioritize, the police should be much more reflexive on themselves.
0: So inviting police
1: there to reflect and be maybe a bit more (laughs) Mm self-critical. Yeah, yeah. But it's clearly not happening, at least for now. Um, It's been said that more trust could be built up between people in the banlieue and the police if investigations into brutality were done by an independent body. So right now it's done by the IGPN, the IGPN, which is a police body, an investigative body, um, and really not seen as very independent. Yeah. And then beyond policing, some say there's a big problem with independence uh, within France's judiciary. Mm. A number of French media reports have shown that much lighter sentences or even none at all have been handed down to rioters from more middle class backgrounds and wealthier neighborhoods. And so all this hasn't helped to mend wounds or build trust in the French state and its institutions.
3: Oh, ma
2: sœur, la violence, nous sommes tes enfants. Les pavés se retournent et poussent en dedans. J'ai l'impression
3: démocratique qui me fait des rougeurs à l'extrême côté du cœur et des entrailles. J'entends par là mes tripes à la mode de mai. Je vous commande d'être bref et couillosif.
0: So, yeah, it sounds like that guy is slamming, but uh, in fact, this is a song, L'ennui et la violence, Boredom and Violence, uh, recorded in the 1960s by France's late singer, poet and anarchist, Léo Ferré. He died 30 years ago on the 14th of July. I don't know what he would have made of this bout of unrest, but he certainly believed in rebellion and revolt. Mm, Yeah, he is one of France's most important and admired singer-poets. Yeah, he's often seen as an anarchist, but more for his attitude, if you like, his refusal to join any political camp, although he did flirt for a while with the Communist Party.
1: He was the voice of rebellion in the 60s, or what's called the
0: insoumission. Yeah, this idea of refusing to bow to anyone or any authority. He got into music very early, especially polyphony. He started singing in choirs. He wanted to develop a career in music. His parents didn't really encourage him, uh, And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't happening. He started playing in cabaret clubs. He had this very dramatic style. You know, he had loads of bushy hair, made these big gestures, did very dramatic live performances, mixing spoken word, which now sounds like slamming, with song. He didn't find instant success. Leo Ferré broke through properly in the late 50s interpreting the works of some French Symbolist poets. In 1964 he recorded works by the 19th century gay French writers Paul Verlaine and Arthur Rimbaud. His golden years though as a recording artist really were in the 60s.
1: So was Leo Ferré kind of the voice of the May 1968 student uprising? Mm, not a Officially, in uh.
0: any case, no, because he didn't take part in the protest, despite being asked. Mm. Um, uh, so he wasn't, you know, he wasn't out there with the students on the barricades. But he certainly did call for revolt in his songs. Mm. It's not easy, though, to be a practicing anarchist when you're a singer and you're a performer. Uh, you need an audience. You've got to respect your concert dates. You've got to sell records. Mm, got to make compromises. <laughs> yeah. So his the solution he came up with was to blend poetry with an element of danger, and that led. to to many of his songs being censored for a while.
3: Anadochine c'est bien fini, Anadochine s'a refleurit quand l'adochine s'est terminé ou c'était qu'on pourrait se Les temps sont difficiles.
0: So a, a notable song is this one, Les Temps Difficiles, Difficult Times, in which he very clearly evoked the subject of torture by the French army in Algeria. Really
1: a taboo subject at the time. Yeah, totally.
3: File-moi ta part, mon petit Youssef, sinon je te branche sur les D.F. Les temps sont difficiles.
0: Taking on the voice of an officer torturing an Algerian man, he says, speak, young Youssef. If you don't, I'll give you an electric shock. Ferry was resolutely anti-war. He sang against the war in Indochina and in Algeria, of course. In songs like La Marseillaise and Miss Gégère, he openly called on soldiers to desert. Wow, quite shocking at the time. Absolutely.
3: Une robe de cuir Comme un fuseau du chien En
1: extra.
0: One of Ferré's less political songs, maybe, but equally shocking at the time, is this one, the erotic ballad, C'est Extra. It's extraordinary. It's actually a homage to the devolver. The huh. Yeah, that's not banal, is it? Mm. It was released in 1969 in the wake of France's sexual revolution and it brought Ferré some new audiences among youth that he'd previously slammed for swallowing a kind of pop known as Yeye, which he loathed. His talent for painting pictures and performing with this raw passion has earned him a huge place in the ballad tradition known as French chanson. But through to the end, he remained outside the system. He declined to enter the Order for Arts and Literature. He refused an offer to conduct a first-class symphonic orchestra because he was also very good at classical music, because it involved supporting then-president François Mitterrand in 1988 when he was campaigning for re-election. And Ferré never accepted music music awards. He liked to say the only honour for an artist is not getting any. He's mm, certainly living his ideals there. Yeah. He died on the fourteenth of july nineteen ninety three, age seventy six, and he's buried in his native Monaco. So
1: july fourteenth, France's public holiday, mm-hmm. known in the English world as Bastille Day, marked with parties and fireworks. Yeah. But celebrations this year could be a bit more muted.
0: Uh, sales of fireworks to individuals have been banned in the wake of the riots. It's not surprising perhaps Given the large quantities of mortars that were intercepted by police.
1: Yeah, also, some towns like Strasbourg or Nîmes and Perpignan aren't putting on displays of fireworks because of drought. They're worried about fires. It is literally heating up here in France. We just had the hottest June on record ever. Cool. So during the heat, Sarah, we'll
0: be taking a bit of a break Mm -hmm. and we'll be back with more stories from France in September. In the meantime, listeners, you can uh, listen to our archive of 98
1: shows. Yeah, 98. Not bad. We're
0: heading to the 100.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can find Spotlight on France on your favorite podcast app or head over to RFIenglish.com. Spotlight on France is a production of the English service of Radio France International. And this
0: episode was mixed by Cécile Pompiani. If you like the show, please rate and review us. We're on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. It helps people find us.
1: Yeah, and we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us, spotlight.france at rfi.fr. Find us on Instagram, Spotlight on France. And see you in a few weeks.
3: Bye Allison. Bye bye Sarah. J'en ai noirci des pages depuis ma première marche blanche. Il y a déjà 20 ans à Lille. Un triste mois d'avril, d'une balle dans la nuque, un brigadier, tu ris à dame la oui, encore un chêne but est gratis. Un flic muté à Nice, une justice complaisante, toute une ville brûlée à vif tu réalises qu'en vérité, l'histoire ne fait que bégayer, qu'il faut encore batailler pour voir machine sans s'enrayer.
2: Le feu dans les bleus, les yeux dans les yeux, cible d'être rottinette, c'est parce la rue rejette le non-lieu la Lieu au milieu, nos zone commando, traque des villes
1: radicaux. El pueblo unido déboulonne le comico, comico, comico.